1: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brew Hoop, Frank Madden. Frank, the Bucks won.
0: Uh, You know, Eric, you deserve this. I deserve this. (laughs) Uh, The Milwaukee Bucks fans all around the world, especially those who made their way to the Bradley Center tonight, uh, in particular, they deserved this kind of performance. Cause I feel like, I mean, how many games like this have we seen from the Milwaukee bucks since game three of last year's playoff series? I, not, I mean, I know the Celtics team is obviously not a world beater, but obviously they're, you know, a team that has beaten the bucks twice now in a row and coming into this game, uh, had momentum. But after, I don't know how long we finally got what I would call a, completely comprehensive Milwaukee Bucks victory. And I I often use the phrase comprehensive victory, but it's rarely to describe actual Bucks victories. It's usually (laughs) to sort of say like, well, you know, the Bucks, the Bucks had, you know, started well and then they uh, kind of in the fourth quarter wasn't great. But so it wasn't a comprehensive victory. Usually when I say that phrase, it's in the context of, yeah, the Bucks won, but it was not a comprehensive victory. It was not that sort of four quarter, never in doubt playing at just a really high level for 48 minutes type of uh, you know we don't see that that level of, of play very much and tonight we did I mean tonight the Bucks, um I, I I don't know I, I feel like I, I can I, I would probably say and I'm not you know I can't remember every Bucks game this season every win this season but it felt like that was the Bucks' best performance since game three of last season in the playoffs and um, I mean, we could talk for two hours just based on all the storylines of friggin' redemption of like every guy, every guy who was struggling, uh, whether it was this series or you know Thon Maker not you know struggling all season. Basically, I mean, it had, I mean, redemption just all over the box score, and um, it was just a a riot to watch on TV, uh, and I have to imagine. In the arena, it was absolutely crazy.
1: It was ruckus. It, it, it was uh, it was pretty wild in there. And uh, and I, I said that I think I said this last year after Game Three. Game Three was the one where the Bucks killed them, right? Um, yeah. It's it's always kind of disappointing because crowds are louder when they feel like they can give a little bit extra boost. So like the first half was ludicrous when Thon was flying all over the place, blocking shots. Like that was that was probably the peak of the crowd. And that doesn't say a bad thing about the crowd that they weren't into it or anything like that, but like the stakes still felt high. But once you're up by 20, the, I mean, you're just kind of watching the bucks take care of business and you you can't, you can't have those moments where you get uh, quite as high unless Giannis kills Aaron Baines. Um, And well, he murdered him tonight. Uh, But all the, it it was just, uh, yeah, the first half was wild and fun and just, uh, I, it's funny to think about this team and the best moments that they've had in the postseason the last two years are the moments where they fully find themselves as, uh, switching flying around defense, uh, where they're aggressive and they're just getting turnovers all over the place. And, all of the things that you kind of want them to like, kind of cut out, like ugh, stop overhelping so much and stop being so aggressive and play more conservative, and they did that in the first two games. And uh, to me, the biggest thing was coming out immediately and just switching all over the place. Like it, when Rozier came off a of pick and roll, it didn't matter if it was Tyler Zeller, and it was Tyler Zeller at the start of the game. Tyler Zeller was switching on to him. And the Bucks just said, okay, you're, that's not going to happen. And if that meant Bledsoe had Horford for a couple seconds, they would let him roll down the lane. Middleton would come from the backside, switch in. He'd have Horford, and then Bledsoe would go to the smaller guy on the outside. And I just didn't think the the Celtics reacted to it all that well. And at, when so much of your plan was in game two, we talked about it, those dribble handoffs, that weave action all of the stuff that really made the Bucks look foolish because they were playing conservatively. They didn't know when they should step up, when they shouldn't, who should be switching. And it just led to a bunch of open shots and blow-bys. And tonight it was, okay, we're going to switch everything. You said a double ball screen in the middle of the floor? Okay, everybody's switching, and that's fine. We'll deal with Terry Rogier going up against Zeller or Thonmaker or Giannis or whoever it is, and we'll find a way on the backside to switch off of horford and then just make it tough on horford and i just thought i mean i don't know if i want to say brilliant uh but it was one hell of an adjustment from joe Prunty. like that was a totally different coverage they totally changed the way that they were playing defense and they switched all over the place they put a ton of pressure on the ball handlers and i mean you saw it from early on in this game terry Rogier was just not comfortable and from that after the game, Brad Stevens had mentioned, you know, we would move it once or twice and then the ball would stick. And to me, it just felt like in that first quarter, the the Celtics on their heels trying to figure out like, wait, what, what's happening? Like these are different looks than we got the, than we got last game. They're playing this differently. Like how do we deal with this? And they just didn't, they didn't really ever seem to catch up. It, It confused them when Bledsoe was in. Dele comes in with I think three minutes into the game because Bledsoe picks up two fouls deli starts trailing rozier 94 feet up and down the floor and i mean uh, from that first quarter it, it was pretty much over and we saw the bucks actually handle closing out the first quarter and uh, to me that was that was that
0: yeah closing quarters was actually a, a strength today and um you know i, I don't know how we want to do it. if we want to just sort of go down the line of of redemption um i I mean, I think probably it makes sense to start with with Jabari Parker. Um, you know, I don't think Jabari Parker was the the best player on the court today, Um, but that didn't matter because he was actually a guy who helped the Bucks, you know, win this game. And that was something that he was not doing in the first two games. And, you know, I know there was a lot of talk about like, well, you know, I mean, some people going so far as to say like they should start Jabari to try to get him off his, you know, out of his slump or whatever. I and mean, I thought the most important thing we saw today was that Jabari Parker just went out and earned his minutes. Whoa, you know, he played th-
1: what a novel idea.
0: <laughs> he played 30 minutes. And, you know, obviously a lot of that was, uh, you know, I don't know if he would have gotten that high if the game had been close and Giannis had come back in the game late. Giannis goes to the bench with, what, 10 minutes left in the fourth. And, um, you know, thankfully the Bucs, including Jabari, didn't allow the Celtics to to make up any ground. They actually extended the lead thereafter. So Giannis only plays 27 minutes, you know, with uh, a Sunday noon start um, big. Uh, forthcoming, which is big. Um, but I, I thought the, th- the key thing with Jabari was he didn't look like, you know, an obvious defensive weak point tonight. Um, you know, he picks up a steal, two blocks. Um, he started making shots, but I thought the important thing was he actually, and again, like I'm not going to go so far as to say he was like a plus defender or anything like that, but he was totally solid and he gave a got up on guys and looked to try hard and consistently, and that was that was big. And I think he might have missed his first shot or two, but gets, gets to the free throw line, uh, gets off the schneid from the foul line, and then stuff just kind of started to come to him. Got a couple easy buckets. Um, got a couple dunks and, uh, and the game sort of started to come to him. And, and again, I, you know, it, I feel like a lot of these discussions around Jabari have been, I don't know, I feel like people have been kind of talking past one another cause it's sort of like, it's not like anybody wants Jabari Parker to fail, No. but Jabari Parker needs to, I mean, it's, this is a two way street and to say that like, you know, Joe Prenti's Screwing Jabari Parker up because he has not playing enough minutes. It's like, well, Jabari Parker is screwing Jabari Parker up yep. too. <laughs> like, that's where it starts. And if that um,
1: Jabari played, if the Jabari that played tonight played in Game One or Game Two, I would have been pissed that he was getting only ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. Well, he would like he would all, not. He would, we all would have been furious. Like if he was well, playing that way, actually just missing shots and competing defensively. I would have been pissed like okay yeah you can't take him out of the game just because offensively he can at times help you through things and, and he adds an added dimension i would have been pissed but when he didn't give a crap then he didn't get more minutes like uh, there's gonna be this this big idea that oh man what was joe Prunty thinking what were the bucks thinking no what was jabari thinking like that that's that's the story here like he actually tried tonight when he gets a block on greg monroe he stays with marcus morris on two of his i think two of the first five or so possessions on the floor that's a different dude than the guy that was out there in games one and games two
0: yeah and you know he was getting switched and the fact that they were switching maybe that helped as well rather than having him try to run off multiple screens and follow multiple actions you know um our friend Jared Dubin had a, a a video clip that he posted of, you know, just a terrific sequence from the Celtics where they, you know, basically put Jabari into multiple actions and eventually got an open look. And you know, that stuff's not easy, even if you are a, a solid defender and you put Jabari through all these different, you know, actions and screens where he has to run around and, you know, make reads and things like that. That's that's very difficult for a guy who's not a good defender. Tonight, I thought, you know, again, just the the general concept of the defense, I think, was a little simpler. And, you know, again, it's frustrating. I mean, we've talked about the idea that the bucks should switch more forever. Um, but we've also talked, as we talked about yesterday and you brought it up, they they do they do it at times. Um, but you know, again, can they do it effectively given that they've been so, you know, just sort of scattered and haven't really had a consistent approach in terms of switching and things like that, you know, cause you've, as you've noted, it's not like, just really easy to move to a switching defense. I mean, it requires a lot of communication. Um, and I think tonight with John Henson sitting with this bad back, um, again, Zeller, not that Zeller is some, you know, super switchable guy relatively (laughs) speaking. I think he's, I think he's probably, you know, has quicker feet than Henson, but, um, the real X factor was the fact that you also then got Thon maker in for half the game in 24 minutes. And Thon obviously is the most switchable of, of all the bucks, big men. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious how much the overall strategy had to do with the fact that, you know, uh, presumably they knew at least someone in advance that Thon had a good chance of playing. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, Jabari, I think, will be the headline for a lot of, from a kind of a national perspective. And, you know, certainly from a narrative perspective, Jabari, you know, sort of the redemption of Jabari is is probably more important in the sense that if Jabari Parker goes into the summer coming off of games like this, it's a very different um, tenor and vibe to his restricted free agency versus if he's coming off the first two games. Um, but I think in terms of this specific game and and potentially the rest of this series, um, you know, Thon Maker is probably the guy who who helped himself as much or more because, I mean, Thon Maker has started a lot of games for the Bucs. and I don't know where this Thon Maker went. Over the past year, but he puts up 14 points on five shots, hits three out of four threes, only took one shot inside the arc, makes five out of seven free throws, uh, five boards, five blocks. I I I mean, I swore you could have given him credit for if he had if you had told me he had seven or eight blocks tonight, I would have believed you. Um, And ends up a plus 23 and plenty plus in 24 minutes. I mean, you could argue he was. the most valuable player on the court today, just from, I don't know, just like from a a momentum and energy perspective. I mean, he was everywhere. And I I mean, the crowd and the, the energy in the building, when he came in and started making plays with those blocked shots and then eventually hitting some threes, um, you just had to be thrilled for him. Right. I mean, he's, you know, Jabari and Thon are kind of, um, interesting contrast. Both have these redemptive nights. Jabari, after having these very public, you know, spats over frustration of not playing and worrying about his contract and all this other bullshit and fun completely forgotten. Cause he had a really bad year and doesn't say anything. Minds his business. And when he gets his chance, the dude is ready. And, you know, we can say, you know, we're happy for Jabari Parker. We're glad that he earned his minutes tonight, that he did what he was supposed to do. But in terms of like props for, Staying ready, being a good teammate, doing everything you need to do, and then taking advantage of your opportunity. Man, Thon Lob. Maker has got to be the story of this game.
1: Lob it up there, Frank. You ready? Are you ready for it?
0: <laughs> oh, dude. Is this, I, I, don't make him catch the ball, Eric. Is don't make Thon, Thon catch Thon the ball. Thon Maker
1: or... an NBA player?
0: It's back. Yeah. That, uh,
1: I'm, yeah. I, I guess maybe I should try this one. Are we about to talk ourselves back into Thon Maker as an NBA player? Because yeah, I, I believe so. <laughs> he, he was he was everywhere tonight, and you mentioned uh, that nationally it's going to be Jabari, right? Like Jabari's redemption and stuff like that. But I think once again, from from a a more macro team perspective, this isn't changing. The platonic ideal of Thon Maker undoubtedly works with Giannis Atetikumbo. Th- that's not changing. That's that's not changing at all and this is a a very tonight was a very switch heavy approach Uh, tonight was defensively one of the nights where Thon could go out there and use his skills right like he could go out there and do the things that he's good at and again it's going to be one of those nights and uh, I'm, I'm fearful of leaving the playoffs this way again but after last year's playoffs it certainly felt like Thon was a piece. he was he was a guy that you thought that you thought could be on this bucks team going forward and he fit and uh, not, not i don't know building block whatever terms you want to use like that's what we thought after last year's playoffs and again tonight was how many minutes did he play 23 minutes uh maybe it was a little 24 minutes he plays 24, yeah, 24 minutes those 24 minutes made me feel like again if you put Thomaker in the right system if you use him the right way Maybe he's an NBA player. And again, I understand what kind of overreaction that is. I get it. But at the same time, you, you just can't – I don't think you can watch that and not feel that way because to me he was the whole story of the night and, like, the Jabari stuff is fine and we can hit on that a little bit more. But to me, Thon, Thon was this game because I don't know how well the strategy of – switching everything really putting ball pressure on anyone coming off anything uh, whether it's a dribble handoff a pick and roll in the middle of the floor i'm I'm not sure if that works to the same extent that it worked tonight if the maker isn't there and you had mentioned the idea that one thing i always say is people think switching is easy because it involves you you know moving less passing assignments from one guy to the other and often I would argue that switching is harder than playing man and chasing because you only have – you got your guy. You know what you're going to do. You're going to stay on him. But switching, you have to be very aware of everything going on, on the floor. And there was a switch tonight. I'm trying to think when it happened. It would have been first half, and the Bucks needed to uh, – it was kind of that same situation where a little got switched on to Horford, Uh, And then they passed him off to Middleton. And then Thon had a guard on the left wing. So Thon on the left wing, Middleton on the left block, and he's fronting Horford. And Thon was able to get him, his man, to pass the ball back up to the, like let's say, lane line extended. So they're in a little triangle there on the left side. And in the moment that he passed it to the, I think it was Tatum passed it up the floor, in that moment... Middleton and Thon switched and Middleton was able to get out to the wing Thon was able to get out uh, to or was able to get back to the left block and then I think it was a turnover I can't remember which guard like dribbled it off their foot or something um, but that that's, that's insanely difficult that's a really difficult play to execute a switch in such a, a tight space in so much in such a small amount of time like the Bucks were just laser focused on everything that they needed to do. And more often than than not tonight, they were getting those switches right. And we've seen this team try to switch before, and more often than not, they screw up their switches. They don't get them right. And uh, I just thought Thon was such a big part of that. And I tweeted it out, so i I would assume most of you that listen got to see this. Uh, but before the Bucks left for Boston on Saturday, Uh, they had media availability and the bucks plane was getting ready to leave shortly almost everyone on the team had talked so like not a lot of guys were going to be talking to the media at all that day and everyone was kind of getting ready to leave and then thon was walking by and thon was just like oh what's up guys and i think it was me and Tally and i'm just like no what's going on and then he was going to keep walking i was just like oh you ready for this series and thon go Still, I can't believe he says this to me. He says, you know, I'm ready. This is my fucking time. And I was like, <laughs> what? "What? you, what? Okay. Um, sure. Like, uh, I, uh, y- your reaction was my reaction. I just like kind of laughed like, all right, man, sounds good. And he went on his way and I went on my way. And that was that. And it just, it stuck out to me. It was so strange to hear him say something so confident when he had essentially fallen out of the rotation like Zeller had taken his minutes Hanson was playing more and Thon was totally out of the rotation and as he said it I was just like that's the craziest thing I've ever heard like it might be your time but your time might not be on the floor like yeah I don't I don't imagine a world where you play and just for him to come in and have that sort of impact is to me just just crazy but like i said in the bigger picture i'm going to talk myself into it because that's just kind of how this stuff goes but you see thon do those things and you know that in an ideal world with an ideal coach like maybe there's a world where that still is the thon maker that we thought the bucks had last last offseason
0: Yeah, I mean, last off season was peak trade value thon, and it's interesting. I mean, if he has one, you know, at least one more game, maybe not quite this good, but if he does similar things in on Sunday, um, a you you suddenly can talk yourself into thon maker being potentially even the long term starter at center, which you know again we we've kind of had locked into that. I'd say last summer as as hopefully the thing we could count on, and then obviously have backed off that uh very much over the course of this season um but not just talking yourself into that but also i mean just his trade value you know yep. um and again it's always when i was saying like if thon plays really well then you know because of his fit here i think the bucks probably are not going to go oh like let's let's go trade him all his values high but if you do have an offer on the table well you know for a guy you can't resist Suddenly, maybe Thon Maker is an asset again. People were giving me shit for putting Thon in the uh, asset column. Uh, in if you're on a rookie the, deal, my little you're an cap, asset. my my little cap waterfall. And look, I I almost moved it, but I was just kind of too lazy because it's sort of a pain to move guys between categories on my on my like PowerPoint slide. Um, but very reasonable to say that he's a he was a neutral or negative asset. I think you could still argue positive asset just because he's on a rookie contract. And As, yeah, you know, if you're on a rookie deal, year. you have to be. Yeah. You
1: have to be Rashad Vaughn yeah, not to be right. an so, asset or something that someone will take a flyer on.
0: Right. Somebody's probably willing to give a second-round pick for Thon Maker still, even with yeah. how bad he was this year. But now, especially after seeing him tonight, um, I thought he was great. And, uh, again, you know, very interesting, right? And we've talked about how the Celtics – I mean, the Celtics are not a team that has just pure shot creators at all these positions. And so um, playing a switching lineup that sort of – Kind of dares players to try to take advantage of switches. Um, I think it's especially a good lineup here, and and you know obviously I, I watch the Rockets a lot because my wife is a Rockets fan from Houston. Um, but and the Rockets are interesting, right? Because a lot of teams have decided that you know when they run pick and roll with Harden or, or Paul, um, instead of trying to play it traditionally or you know tag with a third man, um, they're just going to switch, and they're basically say you know what we're not going to like fall into the trap of. You know getting sucked in and leaving open three-point shooters because that's what you guys want to do we're going to just switch and and you guys are gonna have to beat us in isolation and they had a historically great iso season well guess what the boston celtics are not the houston rockets in terms of their ability to take advantage of switches and obviously especially when you have Thon on the court he has foot speed where when he is at his best um you know he can actually track with guys who are smaller and and block shots and um, and actually make plays and I was gonna say, one thing uh, I wanted, saw that tonight
1: yeah one thing I wanted to mention there sorry to cut you off um, I got to, a chance to talk to Malcolm Brogdon a little bit and one thing he said was that I think the question I asked him was something about like oh you know Thon and Delhi really really brought the energy and the first thing he said was. He's like, I, I understand why people say that, but I think that that sells Thon really short. Like, just saying that he's an energy guy. He's like, he's he's really talented. Like, he can really move his feet. He can do... The things that he's able to do are because he is so talented. And, like, you th- he, I think he said something about, like, you think about the blocks that he had. Like, he was still chasing someone down there. Like, they had gotten by him, but he still was talented enough to get back and make a block and he was just like we he's like so often when we talk about Thon it's energy 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 but really Thon is very talented and I do think a night like tonight kind of kind of showed some of that off
0: yeah and Thon especially you know we talk about Thon and you know he's really struggles as a finisher in large part because He's not strong off off of, like, two feet. He's not strong. He doesn't have a good second jump. When he's on the go, he's a much better finisher offensively. You know, like, some of his dunks... All his good dunks are, you know, when he has momentum, right? Like, without momentum, he's he's got nothing. And, and a lot of it's because of his lack of, kind of, lower body strength and, and core strength. Um, and it, I think that also plays over defensively. Like, when Thon Ooh. is moving his feet, um, that's when... He just seems a lot more athletic versus, you know, he's not a guy that you just want standing underneath the basket waiting for guys to come challenge him, right? Because he's not strong. He's obviously not like a thick guy in the post, anything like that. But when the challenge is moving his feet against a smaller guy who thinks he can get by him or even against a bigger guy, which we saw Monroe a number of times try to you know, take him to the rim tonight. Um, that's where Thon really shines. So it's kind of interesting just sort of his, the uniqueness of his athleticism, you know, for good and bad, um, I think kind of shows up defensively as well as offensively. And um the fact that he then comes out and, you know, channels that energy and focus. And, you know, I mean, how many times did Thon Maker and Annie or Bledsoe play the role of Jet Jason Terry, who didn't play tonight <laughs> at all, interestingly. Um how many times did did Thon and Bledsoe take the mantle from Jet and and start getting the crowd to to you know try to get into the game? I thought that was uh, that was really fun, but um, yeah. Any other thoughts on Thon? Because I mean, we've got a ton of guys. I, don't, I we'll probably like forget to talk about Giannis and his dunk on Baines, and you know we'll probably forget like Chris Middleton, who was just terrific again, just because I feel like you know I want to talk about Bledsoe. I want to talk about Della Vidova. Um we've already talked a thing about Jabari and Thon. Anything else on Thon that that you'd want to hit up? No,
1: I'm good on Thon. Um okay. what, do you want to go Bledsoe or deli next?
0: Um well let's start with Bledsoe. Um and you know I, I was really, really happy for Bledsoe to have this bounce back game. Um this is a lot more of what we expected to see kind of night in, night out. Um Bledsoe eight out of thirteen from the field. Didn't hit a three0 for three. Um, but seventeen points on thirteen shots, um four assists, four rebounds, um a block on was that block on Tatum? He had an incredible half court block uh when he switched got yeah, switched was, at one point.
1: Uh, it might have been Jalen Brown.
0: Or it may have been Jalen Brown. Yeah, one of those guys, like not a guard it was not on Shane Larkin or anything no. like that. Um, you know, just a very much an Eric Bledsoe type block um, only played 27 minutes. Again, didn't have to go heavy minutes plus 13 only one turnover as well. Um, <laughs> Did
1: Javari lead the team with 30 minutes? I'm trying to think. Yeah. If...
0: Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, Chris at 33. Video. Oh, Chris at 30. Yeah. Sorry. I'm my box for some reason. does not have Chris's minutes, but anyway. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I thought I was, I was really happy for Bledsoe just to kind of get off that Schneid with all the negative, t- and, you know, the negative press and the embarrassment of all the, you know, who, Who's Terry Rozier? All that bullshit. Um, I was just really happy to see him come out, play well. Um, Rozier obviously uh, struggled two out of seven from the from the field, one out of five from three. Nine points, did have nine assists, but five turnovers, minus ten in thirty one minutes. And um, again, I, I thought Bledsoe was uh, obviously a big positive tonight, and just just the pace that he played at. You know, some of yep. the Bucks' best plays. Um, he was just really trying to push the ball in transition. And interestingly that he didn't have a single steal tonight, given that he's obviously one of the league was one of the league leaders. And so often when the Bucks force turnovers, it's because of Bledsoe kind of making Bledsoe like freelancing type plays to pick up steals. But tonight the Bucks force 18 turnovers, um, turn the tables in that regard, just nine turnovers for the bucks. Um, they kind of win the points off turnover battle twenty to nine. And even though Bledsoe didn't necessarily force any of the turnovers, um, I thought he did a really nice job pacing the game. And, you know, I think one thing that we should acknowledge too, you know, I think a lot of, there was a lot of frustration with Bledsoe kind of mid season when he was, I think handling the ball a lot more and a lot longer early in possessions. And I feel like the bucks have gotten a lot better at having the ball in other guys' hands or, or quicker and earlier. Um, and obviously Bledsoe's is not a traditional like off ball type guy. Cause he's not a spot up shooter. Um, but I thought, again, tonight the Bucks also did a nice job. I mean, you know, Bledsoe was giving it up early to Giannis or Chris, letting those guys bring it up at times. Um, you know, Brogdon starting, I thought interesting that to see Brogdon start um, in Snell's place. I thought that was, if you were going to make a change other than the Henson injury one with Zeller, that was the kind of obvious one to make if you wanted to shake things up. Not, you know, obviously not a Jabari starting type thing because, I mean, they haven't done that all year. But they have started Brogdon with Bledsoe for for quite some time, actually. And they went that route. And interestingly, I mean, Brogdon didn't play, didn't really didn't play well at all for the most part. Or, you know, what didn't stand out, didn't shoot the ball well. Um, but Bledsoe uh, really played well again and, and had a bounce back game. I mean, you just hope that kind of channels into uh into Sunday and and he got some really good play from a guy that you know in Delhi who we, we you know we talked about last night like we weren't really sure like I mean is Delhi fully healthy like what what Delhi are you gonna get and you know tonight we got I'd say kind of normal Bledsoe and we got I think a very good version of Delhi
1: I was I was gonna say peak Delhi <laughs> like it just just him following Rogier 94 feet uh, he get, there was a Delhi floater. There was a deli top of the yep. key three. The bucks went to that inverted uh, giannis deli pick and roll for the entirety of the first quarter. Like that we haven't seen that play oof, I don't know, since last year's playoff. like it, it hasn't been that long, but uh, we haven't seen it in a while because Delhi's been out for so long, and uh, just some interesting stuff there. Blood so, I-, I thought it was looking at that line. 17 points, 8 of 13 shooting, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. That, that's not the best night that he's ever had.
0: That's, it's basically his averages. It's basically what it is, right? It's like correct. He had basically an average, a season average night.
1: But the, the key is that efficiency. 8 yeah. of 13. And again, you want to see the Bucks get to the line a, a lot more than they did. Uh, the Starters get to the line twice. One,
0: they made one free throw. The Stars made one free throw. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah, Middleton
1: goes for technical, and Bledsoe was, I guess, an and one. I'm trying to yep, think of it. Yeah, an um, But yep. with Bledsoe, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you that that's that's the Bledsoe you need. You don't need Bledsoe to go out and embarrass Terry Rozier. You don't need him to score 30 points. Now, if there's a game where that does happen, obviously you'll take it um, if he does it efficiently. Um, but you just need Bledsoe to, like you said, control the pace, make sure that he's making the right decisions. I thought there was there was a play where he kicked it to brogdon for a corner three. I can't remember if Brogdon made it, but it was middle pick and roll on the left side, and Bledsoe. Didn't do his normal. I'm gonna go as fast as I can and see what happens. He went fast, slowed down, and then kind of went underneath on the baseline and threw just a, a little pass over to Blood or to Brogdon for a three. And it was just like that. That is what you want out of Eric Bloodso. Like I, don't, you don't need all of that other stuff. You don't need him flying into a, the opposing center trying to finish. You don't need him trying to go as fast as he can to get past all the defenders. You don't need him taking uh, an off-foot floater. Like you don't need any of that stuff. You just need the simple right play. And more often than not tonight, I thought Eric Bledsoe made that play. And I think, uh, obviously, I don't know what the coaching staff will say, but I would assume if you're Joe Prunty, like that's kind of what you have to get through Bledsoe's head. Like you don't, you don't have to embarrass Terry Rogier you just have to play slightly better than him and that evens out the entire series like just that little bit helps out so much and you mentioned the defense on I'm trying to think when it was yesterday when we got to talk to Giannis obviously all the stuff that he said about Jabari that got all the headlines and obviously I played a little bit of that at the start of the podcast that we did on Friday before our mailbag Um, but the thing that I thought was really interesting was I had asked about how do you guys try to turn the turnover disparity around because the Celtics have just been pillaging the the Bucks like the Bucks aren't getting any turnovers the Celtics are getting a million of them and the Bucks just can't really do anything with that like we know how they play we know how uh, there's they can go out and score and transition when they get those steals and he mentioned a stat that in game two and this would have to be, I'm trying to think, maybe the hustle stats would have this, but he said typically they get about 20 deflections. In game two, they got nine. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. I haven't seen them. I'd be willing to bet that number tonight was 25 or higher. Just because thinking about all the turnovers that they had, a number of them were tip passes that then turned into going the other way. Like Think about how many passes they tipped out of bounds. Like, there was four or yeah. five of those t- just... Tips out of bounds. And to me, that was the big difference. And like you said, Bledsoe didn't end up getting any of those steals, but Bledsoe was a part of applying that pressure and making the Celtics uncomfortable in general. So I, I just thought a really strong game from him. And Brogdon, you mentioned not having a great game. And it's the same thing with Tony Snell. Tony Snell didn't score a lot in the first two games, but tony snell had jason tatum in both of those games and i don't know if you noticed jason tatum didn't have a great game in game two he, he was pretty quiet and if you look at jason tatum night uh he has 14 points on 5 of 11 shooting again not a great night and we've talked about jalen brown this entire series right you know who was put on jalen brown tonight malcolm brogdon Malcolm Brogdon had Jalen Brown the entire night. He scores 11 points on four of nine shooting and just didn't really make an impact. So I think, obviously, when we go through and look at the box score and say this guy had an impact, this guy didn't have an impact, it's easy to see a two-for-eight night for Malcolm Brogdon and be like, well, you know, he didn't play very good. But, I mean, he was physical with Jalen Brown. He made it tough on Jalen Brown. and. When Brown and Tatum don't have good nights, like, this Celtics team is going to struggle. And I thought that was that was kind of what we saw uh, a, a little bit tonight. So one thing I'm curious about going forward, Frank, I, I was talking to Jack Maloney, our friend at CBS Sports, uh, Danny Cunningham from uh, The Zone in Madison. We were kind of talking through this, and at half I asked them, do you think the Celtics concede this game, or do you think they try some of the counters? that they could have to the way that the bucks are defending these dribble handoffs and you may say who's going to concede a playoff game and concede might not be the right word but there's obviously something brad stevens is going to draw up to take advantage of the bucks switching defense right like there's no doubt like we we watched him Game one, we saw the offense struggle. Game two, Stevens came back and had thought up the dribble weave action, the dribble handoffs, the middle pick and rolls. Like He had found ways to make the Bucks look silly. Now, game three, the Bucks found a way to turn that on the Celtics, which is, again, uh, I'm, I'm not sure I was ready for an adjustment to work out that well for the Bucs, uh, but it did. And a credit to Joe Prunty and his staff for figuring out that was a way to make it tough on them. Now... What do the Celtics do in Game Four? Are they still going to use that dribble weave action? Like they're they're a pretty limited offensive team with the players that they have. No Kyrie Irving, so they do need to find ways to create action that isn't someone going one on one. But what is what is the counter here? And I don't know that I there was maybe a few more side pick and rolls here uh, in the second half. But I don't know. Obviously, you're not going to see a full game plan that counters that switching. And to me, that's That's game four. That's what I'm going to be looking for on Sunday at noon. How do the Celtics deal with this? How do they make changes? And how do they leverage what the Bucs did tonight?
0: I thought it was interesting. We saw a fair bit of big Celtics lineups tonight. Um, yep. you know, Horford was, was pretty good offensively with 16 points. Uh, Greg Monroe got like seven offensive rebounds and, um, he got swatted a bunch of times by, uh, by, uh, by Thon. only four out of 10, a uh, four out of 12 shooting, but seven out of 10 from the foul and bucks committed a lot of turnover, a lot of fouls, um, in this game, 27 to 15 foul differential. It felt like many of those were, were in the first half. Um, but really throughout the game the the Celtics were getting in the penalty pretty early and um, you know the Bucks, for all their Activity were, were still fouling a lot in the paint and you know interesting I mean the Bucs got outscored in the paint 42 to 34 that, That's a really low paint number yep. for the Bucks, and they were outscored on the, on the break 18 to 15 Which sounds kind of crazy that they were outscored in transition um, so kind of an, an interesting game and in that you know again a lot of the sort of things that, that you'd expect to see typically didn't happen and most importantly, the Bucks go 16 out of 33 from three, which um, normally isn't going to happen. Celtics go eight out of 24. I joked that, you know, in the fourth quarter we were like deep into, hey, save some of these threes for Game Four, um, you know, because look, I watched Game Three last year. I flew back to Wisconsin. I went to Game Four, and my God, like <laughs> it's hard to think of a greater contrast in terms of offense than. Game three bucks versus Game four bucks last year. It was just a rock fight of a Game four that the Bucks ultimately lose, and um, that's obviously. I think you know, looking at this game, thinking about like what's what carries over and what doesn't. Um, you know, as much as the Celtics were big for a lot of this game, um, I was a little surprised. With as as switchy as the Bucks were, I was surprised the Celtics were not more aggressive in attacking switches when they had like especially like guards like I mean there were times when yep. Bledsoe was on Horford or you know uh, in particular I'm thinking of Bledsoe but there were switches that um, again the switches limited what you mentioned the other day of like Bledsoe struggling getting over some screens because now they were just switching yep. but if they had been more targeted attacking some of those guard switches I think it would have been interesting to see um, you know could the Celtics have been more effective? I mean, they might've drawn even more files. Um, to me, that's the big so, thing.
1: Cause it's, it's about how quickly they do it. Right. Yeah. Because what I mentioned before was a lot of the times they'd get that switch and then they would think, okay, well, you know, we can swing it over to the left wing. And in that, in that two ish seconds, whoever the bucks guy from the weak side was, whether that was Middleton, Brogdon, Snell, whoever it was, they were jumping onto Horford. And then yeah. that that advantage was uh, not gone, but minimized. So I, I I think that's a great point, Frank. I think that's that's one of the big things that if they want to continue to run that stuff in the middle of the floor, that's how, that's the counter.
0: Yeah, and I think when you think about the switching, like what are the vulnerabilities of the switching? Um, you know, again, I mean, sure. I mean, I guess Terry Rozier could could go off again, but you know, I'm not as worried about Terry Rozier going off because you know Thon can't defend well enough or Giannis can't defend well enough or or you know that type of scenario I mean I can live with switching and and making Terry Rozier you know have to pound the ball and try to go one-on-one with you know a mobile big man that the Bucks have like like one of those two um but yeah I think maybe the the flip side is that that Horford in particular but also Monroe um you know those guys are going to have opportunities against smaller players, and how did the Bucks counter that? And and again, a lot of a lot of tonight. I mean, seventeen offensive rebounds for for Boston. I mean, they got a ton of second chances, um, but it seemed like a lot of them were they get the ball in low bucks block a shot and they get the ball back and try another shot and miss another shot and miss another shot. <laughs> you know, like it was a lot of, I think there were like 11 of 35 or something like that in the paint or in their restricted area. So some, some number like that, which was crazy And the bucks were, were like nine out of 14 or something. So bucks got far fewer shots in the paint. Um, but the Celtics got many more and just could not, could not convert. Um, and so again, credit to the bucks for playing very good defense Thon in particular. Um, but also, you know, again, we'll, we'll kind of see how that, you know, how much of this is sustainable. And I think the big thing for the Bucs, again, is, you know, they, they scored a ton of points. 131 offensive rating tonight, you know, fantastic. 104 defensive rating, also very good. Um, but, you know they do it by just making tons of threes. They shoot 57% overall. So obviously they shot really well on twos as well. Um, you know, Middleton was cooking from, uh, from mid range. Uh, he was in complete control. I'm, I'm just, I'm so, you know, you look at the mid range points tonight, 24 to six, the bucks won in the mid range. That that's a bit of a red flag. I think just because again, you're not going to dominate from mid range. Normally that's not really how you want to play. Um, but that's how Chris the mid- Middleton
1: wants to play. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Seriously. Between the mid range and and the threes, um, you know, they were plus 24 from the three point line. They were plus 18 from th- from the, from the mid range. Um, they were just dominant shooting the ball. And again, you know, what happens when the bucks come out on Saturday and you know, it's an early game at noon and, and they come out flat, right? How do you adjust? Can you, um, get aggressive, get to the line, get to the rim? I mean, we know we've seen the bucks do that. I mean, that's, much closer to their normal MO. Um, but again, I, it'll be interesting to see because I think they'll probably, you know, again, they'll probably be more like that, you know, more likely to be that than, than something else. Um, but by the same token, I thought the pace they played at, they moved the ball extremely well. Um, you know, they they attacked and, and kicked and they had a really nice drive and kick rhythm. And, you know, returning to Jabari for a second, I mean, you know, I think part of the, the criticism of, uh, you know, from d- kind of people defending Jabari in the first couple of games, like, well, you're not running plays for him. I mean, how many quote unquote plays were run for Jabari tonight? Like any, I mean, there were like a couple where he got the ball kind of central or, you know, uh, near the elbow or something like that. But he had, I think, like one pick and roll finish. But, you know, again, like for the most part, I mean, he, it's just very organic. And I thought that was a credit to the Bucks' offense tonight. You know, he was just getting stuff by being active and other guys driving and kicking and looking and, and passing. I mean, I didn't think it was like force feeding or anything like that.
1: Can we be honest about this? Yeah. Um how, how many plays do the Bucks run for Giannis? How many plays do the Bucks run for Chris Middleton? Aren't aren't those typical complaints that we have on this podcast? Don't we don't we say that all the time that the action, like the Bucks, don't run action that makes sense and gets guys open? And I don't know that I don't I don't know that I've ever been like well you know. Chris Middleton can't find any any flow because you're not running plays for him. No, Chris Middleton takes the ball to the spots that he likes, and he scores. And do we say it about Giannis? No, Giannis takes the ball to the spots that he likes, and he scores. So, again, like I agree. Run plays for Jabari. Get him involved. But let's not pretend that there's some sort of bias against Jabari that he's not getting plays ran for him. Nobody gets plays ran for him. Like The Bucks' offense is, as we've said throughout this year, a mess so like i i i just get really frustrated when there's this i don't even know these things applied to jabari parker that don't get applied to anybody else like why like i know you want him to succeed but like let's just let's just be honest about it but i I, I thought jabari had great flow and obviously when the bucks get out and run that's going to help him out a lot um the baseline Bari that he had tonight where Giannis dribbles down the middle of the lane, goes over to the right. And then just kind of has that little wraparound of Jabari. Like that was, that was perfect. Like there, there were moments. There was the, the drive Middleton had where he finds Jabari on the left wing and he finishes that one. Like there was moments again. Um, and, and like you said, like it all came organically and largely that's how the Bucks offense works. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I'm sorry to ruin whatever you had going there, but it that that really just it pisses me off.
0: Like, well, but before I forget, um, two two noteworthy really plays. Um, Jabari had uh, an alley oop dunk. I forget who threw it, but I had that alley dunk where uh, we had a a nut grab. Uh, Jabari definitely grabbed his crotch yeah. as he was hanging on the rim, which was really enjoyable. He did that once before. I forget who it was against. But he definitely did an, a he crotch did. grab um, in a game, I think a year ago before his injury. So oh, man, that was wasn't? fun. Um, you know, he's, he's feeling himself when he's literally feeling himself. Um, <laughs> so that was nice. And then uh, um, Giannis. Um, so one of the things that annoyed that I, th- I said, the only thing that annoyed me in the first half of this game was they had, they, they were big a lot and and they had Giannis, uh, they had Baines guarding Giannis like intentionally a number of times. And, Why on earth the Bucks like continuously then look to give Giannis a screen to get a switch? I'd have no idea. Yeah. Because if I know anything about this world that I live in, it is that Giannis Adetokounmpo just is always going to dunk on Aaron Baines. It's like death taxes and Giannis destroying Aaron Baines. These are the only things that are constants (laughs) in this world. Um, It's funny
1: that he picks guys like he has two guys, right? Jared Allen. Aaron Baines, those two dudes, like as soon as he, as soon as he sees them on the backside, he just sees red and he's like, I'm going to put this on this dude's head right now.
0: Yeah. And, um, so it was really weird to see Giannis getting screens, which prevented him from getting one-on-one chances to attack Aaron Baines. Um, and he should have had a massive facial on him in the first few minutes of the game. Aaron Baines very clearly fouled him trying to dunk on him and, Giannis ends up what back, I, he, I think he back rimmed it. Um, yeah, can I say this? Didn't, why didn't get a foul call?
1: Why are fouls never called on poster dunks? Like never, they're never. They get how many poster dunks have you seen that are actually and ones? Like poster dunks all the yeah. time are just like oh they go run the other way. Like
0: that's yeah, gotta be a foul.
1: Like it's gotta be something.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know I think though I will say this though a lot of times especially when guys go off two feet and so now we're getting to it. So Giannis, we've talked about how Giannis is a, um, Giannis is not a guy who goes off two feet when he's like has momentum, right? Yeah. Like obviously he'll go off two feet to dunk if he just catches it around the basket. But when he is attacking with speed, he's always a one footed leaper right or left, depending yeah. on what chain he's dunking with. And that's part of why he's so good because that gives him the ability to extend and, and go around over guys in, in ways and, and be able to keep his speed in ways where if you have to jump off two feet, you have to kind of slow down a little bit there are only three, three dunks slash attempt dunks. I can remember where he very consciously one hand, you know, went off two feet and then dunked with one hand on, on, on or near someone. One was on Chris Bosh in his second year. You guys probably remember this yep. Jabari passed it to him on the baseline. Giannis dunked on, uh, on Chris Bosh. Got a, got a foul actually. Um, second one in the Mecca game this year, people probably remember it. He nearly decapitated Aaron Baines with a dunk, Um, from way out where he went (laughs) off two feet strangely went off two feet and he got fouled and you know kind of threw it off the backboard because he got fouled and couldn't finish the dunk the only other time this year I can recall him going for a dunk like that he tries it again tonight again it's on Aaron Baines everybody like it like looked like the whole Celtics team forgot about him on the left side he catches it gets ahead of steam and remarkably goes off of two feet and I mean full freaking extension uh absolutely <laughs> absolutely incredible dunk on Baines um again could have been a foul um although I will say this though it wasn't really that dramatic with what Giannis did tonight but especially in the situation where the guys go off two feet and they sort of bring the ball over the top of their head so they're sort of shielding the ball a little bit so often when guys dunk that way they use their off arm and a lot of time it wasn't really blatant on this one but a lot of times it's like it's really kind of an offensive foul sure. like the guy the guy like a lot of times the defender gets whacked in the face by the guy clearing out with his with his offhand. Um, so, so that's my counter, I guess, that there probably should be more <laughs> and ones, but there maybe also should be more uh, wipe-away fouls. So, uh, But that was an in, just a, an incredible dunk, and um, good to see that Giannis is still headhunting uh, Aaron Baines, who seems like the kind of dude you wouldn't want to go headhunting no, for. No,
1: no, not uh, at all.
0: And I'm kind of worried at one point like he's just going to decide to— decide to like kill Giannis mid flight. Um, but that didn't happen tonight. And uh, you know, well, kudos I, to Giannis. He got them off to he helped them kind of get off to a fast start, had an alley up from Chris uh for the first points of the game. Um got out in transition uh, a couple times and um ends up hitting two threes in the first half, It's a third one in the third quarter. It was nice to see him confidently stroking the ball from three. And, you know, if I guess if there's a bellwether for you know the Bucks hitting a lot of threes. When when Giannis <laughs> and Thon both hit three threes, um, uh, you probably know it's going to be a very good night from distance.
1: Yeah, six for eight night from those two from deep. Yeah, that that game's going to go well. Um, I'm trying to think through. Giannis, the other one, he had a drive where he finger rolled it in the, I believe the. Yeah, second he half. could have
0: totally dunked it. I he, was surprised. One, he right? could have dunked it,
1: and two, like I think he finger rolled it because he got hit. And it was just strange that nothing was called. Apparently on the broadcast, Hubie Brown called out Scott Foster for being bad, which God bless you, Hubie. You're the best. Dele, uh might have had the most delightful quote of the night. Uh, I asked him about, like, hey, you haven't played in a while. You go into this game, and I don't know how early the plan was to bring him in, but I think pretty clearly the plan was to bring Deli in for blood, so whenever you took blood, so out, obviously it happened probably a little bit earlier uh, than you were thinking. And I just asked him, like, you knew that the the idea was going to be that you pick up Rogier for 94 feet. How do you how do you know that you're physically capable and ready to do that? And he says, I've been riding the bike for two months, so I can pick them up full court as long as they need me to. And he just kind of smiled at me, and I was like, okay, Deli, I see you got it um but yeah i thought delhi was great um we've already talked about delhi and thon but i thought just the the package of those two really kind of putting it on uh that celtics team i thought was huge we're going to end tonight with chris middleton appreciation 23 points eight rebounds seven assists 10 of 17 shooting three of six from three um to me the sequence of the game that really kind of Kind of let me know just how well chris middleton is playing was Giannis picking up his fifth with when did he do that 10 22 uh left in the in the game bucks are up 90 to 70 and they they kind of start to go through some stuff where celtics maybe are you know thinking about getting back in it and then uh he finds thon maker for i believe a right wing three then he strangely enough misses a, a layup and it was a possession where the Bucks just like overpassed and overpassed and no one would take the shot. And then Middleton misses like a finger roll. And you're thinking, Oh no, like this, this could turn ugly. And then three straight buckets from Middleton, a three pointer, a corner three from Bledsoe, then the step back on, Tatum, I want to say. I'm trying to think who it was on the left wing, but he got someone with a step back, and then he hit another jumper, uh, or then he hit another three, and it was just bang, 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 three shots in a row from Middleton, and that was the game. Then it was
0: I, go ahead. I, 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 yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, a lot of hashtag mid range tonight, and and with with the news of Aaron Rodgers being in the building, <laughs> the the king of hashtag mid range. Um, and now and a minority owner a, of the, Green Bay yeah, Packers. being now announced as a minority owner, which, you know, I remember was thinking, wondering about that before the sale to, to Mark Lazary and Wes Edens happened, um, finally happens, uh, and, and pretty great timing that, that Aaron Rodgers gets to show up for. terrific game and gets to see uh lots of mid-range which uh which um you know again we'll give an exception we'll give an (laughs) analytics exception for Aaron Rodgers because we love Aaron Rodgers um but uh but yeah Chris Middleton I mean he's owned from mid-range all year and um he was man he's been just terrific this series again I I'm I love that we can spend every game no matter if the Bucks win or lose talking about how great Chris Middleton's been because you know you have to feel good for him he He's obviously, it's taken a while to get to this point, um, but it's nice that he's peaking at, at exactly the right time.
1: All right. You happy? You satisfied? Anything else you want to talk about?
0: Um, any, I don't know. What do you, I mean, what are you expecting on Sunday? Um, I'm, I'm nervous just because, again, like a lot of aspects of what they did today was, was not sustainable, I would say. Um, we talked a little bit about some of the corrections the Celtics might make. Marcus Morris said flat out that, they weren't really prepared for the Bucks to switch everything. Yep. So you know that they're going to th- come up with some different approaches on Sunday. Um, again, I, I'm i going to be curious if they try to attack with some of their big men, some of those switches more often. Um, and I, I don't expect the, Buck to, the Bucks to hit 16 threes again. But um, <laughs> again, you know, we know that they can compete with these guys, right? It's not like, you know, they came up lucky and beat the Rockets improbably, right? I mean, we know they can compete with the Celtics. But again, I think if the Bucks went on Sunday, I I imagine I imagine a lot of it may be a, look a little bit different than what they did tonight. Let's say that, not necessarily because Thon won't play at all or something like that, but um, but I, I think they're they're going to have to be able to win game a game in a different way, likely. And again, I don't know if that means it's going to be a grinded out type game, but um, but I imagine it'll look a little bit different. And I'll ask you one more question before I ask your general questions. What are the odds of Thon Maker starting a game this series?
1: Hmm, I'm going to say. I don't think it's likely. I think I think at least certainly in Game 4, you've struggled so much in that, I talked about it before the game, the most important minutes of the game tonight were from the 6-minute mark in the first quarter to the end of the first quarter. The Bucks have been getting killed in that. In Game 1 and Game 2, they were great there tonight. I think if you believe Thon was a big part of what you did tonight, you want him to do that again. In that in that same area in Game Four, um, and if he doesn't do it, well, then there'd be no reason to start him. And if he does it again, then maybe you've stumbled onto something. You stumbled onto a formula that could really work here. So I'm going to say low. Where where are you saying?
0: I would guess probably not. But again, like this is the up the value, right? Like you you can go to him maybe earlier than you might otherwise. Um, and and again, I mean he has started obviously in the past, but it's been a while, so my guess is just for consistency maybe they do try to bring him in later although i mean it's not like thon was good coming off the bench yeah. previously um i also kind of wonder too you know it, it's difficult i mean we've talked about how playing thon with jabari was sort of playing with fire during the regular season cuz they you know thon has been just such a mess and jabari obviously you know defensively has always been a problem um tonight it felt like wow like Thon is your cover, you know. Yep, <laughs> like
1: absolutely.
0: He, like oh, it's good to play Thon with Jabari because he's cover. Again, <laughs> I don't know if I trust that to to be the case game to game. Um, but that's obviously something that uh, they'll have to figure out. And obviously, if if Henson is uh, is ready to go, then that could change things. Maybe you know, maybe Henson goes back to the starting lineup, and maybe they play Thon as the backup and and don't play Zeller at all. I think I think the only thing we know for sure is that Thon Maker has to get a chance. Yep, you know in first, late first, early second quarter, uh, to play on Sunday. And hopefully he brings it as much as he did tonight, because again, um, just really exciting to see uh, a guy who works so hard, who, you know, everybody loves, uh, you asked, I thought a good question to be honest in the post game about him being such a, you know, fan of, of, of Thon and, and working so hard to kind of build up his confidence. And, uh, it was pretty great to see that, that return on, on the biggest stage.
1: Some other thoughts that I have, the Celtics' went zone didn't phase the Bucks. I, I didn't. I didn't think they struggled with it at all. No, like they no. they continuously got open looks. They had skip passes, and it was something Joe Prunty had mentioned before the series started. Was you know there's going to be adjustments, and they're going to throw different things at you. You know maybe they'll throw zone at you. That's something that we've seen with the Spurs, and it was curious that he would actually. I don't want to say show his hand but like at least just mention it like that just felt like a strange thing for me to see him do um but i see why he did it like they, they're very clearly confident in being able to handle that zone and uh there was a deli no look to was it jabari underneath where yeah it was jabari and jabari got like a pump fake layup but they were just passing through the zone didn't didn't really seem affected or bothered the zone was when Giannis had his crazy dunk on Baines um, yeah unless unless the Celtics clean it up I thought that was a good thing to see that the Bucks already kind of handled something that could be a change of pace thing for the Celtics offensively uh, but the big thing will be this Bucks seems not going to put up a 130.8 offensive rating it's mm. not it's not going to happen and we saw them shoot 33 threes and every time the Bucks have shot more than 33s this year we've asked man you think they've they figured it out? You think this is the breakthrough that they'll start doing it? And you know what? Every time it hasn't been. So I expect that number to go back down to 25, 24, wherever it may be. Um, not that I'll be particularly happy about it, but it seems overwhelmingly likely to happen. And I, there's, just, there's just not going to be as many points. The Bucks are going to have to win a close game, and they're going to have to uh, kind of figure out exactly how to get that done. One way to not get it done is – Giannis fouling. Yeah. Game one, bad. Reaching. Game two, verticality. Not doing it. Made it very clear that he was not going to. The first possession, they went after him with a Horford post up. He threw his hands straight up in the air. Even probably exaggerated it by putting him back a little bit. Let Horford shoot it. And that was that. That's what it has to be. Tonight he decided and again I could I could understand that the energy. Everyone was going. The defense is flying all over the place. Let me get in on this. Let me get a couple blocks in he did. He got two blocks. He got two steals. Uh, but also he got five fouls um, and he picked up his fifth one with ten and a half minutes left. So Buck's got to find a way to make sure he keeps that under control. Uh, anything else? Are we done here? It's 1.20 in the morning. I think I'm done.
0: Um, my only last thoughts uh, among Jabari's best plays. Shout out to Jabari for realizing that. And we talked about this the other night. Al Horford is a very deliberate, predictable banger mm-hmm. in the post you know exactly when he's going to throw his butt and his shoulder into you that was so and good
1: good for Jabari he should be
0: he should be relatively easy to draw charges on because it just it's so easy to see coming when he's about to like throw his his body into you especially if you're you know not you know Shaq or something like that yeah. um so shout out to Jabari for just letting Al Horford just launch him to the ground in a really easy foul call al horford was couldn't believe it and it was simple And then shortly thereafter, um, Bledsoe kind of got like scored and then scored on him, and then kind of like I don't even know what you would call it, kind of flailed a little bit when he was like kind of coming down. And Al Horford, I mean, I watched the replay of this; like it was a you know Serie A, you know, Italian national team (laughs) flop that Al Horford falls down on, and uh, Al Horford's like incredulous that you know Bledsoe didn't get teed up or something like that. Uh, And then in the post game. Al was like acting. Al, Al started like laughing when talking about it, like as though like oh I'm, t- I'm so above. I'm not gonna say anything. But those were just oh, ooh, uh. it's like yeah. You know what, Al, you're a great basketball player. You're a very handsome man, and as you seem like a very good dude, but guess what? Screw you. Those were fouls and flops, and get off your high horse. Did you um, see him
1: finger point Deli? I tweeted uh, about yeah, it. I don't I know if anyone it. caught it. I don't know if you could see I, it on TV because I don't know. Well, obviously, I don't I have a TV broadcast in front of me. But there was a sequence that would have been, I think, second half, where Dele and Horford were probably boxing out or something, and they were close by, and Horford straight up fingering Delhi's face, telling him not to do something or another again. And, it'll, I mean, I think that's something to watch. Just because yeah. Horford and Delhi have history. Yeah. And then on top of that, you mentioned two other guys that kind of got under Horford's skin. And again, yeah. I'm not here to encourage dirty play, like that's bad, it's stupid, and it's one of the things that I absolutely hate about the way Delhi plays. Um, but if one of the Celtics best players is kind of getting bothered by that, well, you know, that's that can be significant going forward. So something to keep an eye well, on look, on and Sunday.
0: Yeah. And, and look, Boston has a Morris brother and the Morris brothers are criminals, so you know, whatever. That's uh, correct. I don't I, I don't I don't mind. I feel I don't feel bad about Delhi doing whatever Delhi shenanigans um he's gonna do. But yeah, I was interesting. in the postgame presser, Horford was talking about them about the Celtics being very emotional in this game, which I thought was weird because I thought they weren't very emotional. They just looked kind of shell-shocked. So yeah. that was kind of interesting. Maybe that was him kind of specifically, sort of Generalizing it when it was really him because he seemed to get very frustrated at times. But um, and actually, shortly after that, not getting the call on Bledsoe and flopping like the next play down because he kind of like launched the ball at Scott Foster. After that, it was like kind of it, incre- it, like it was
1: incredible. It was because I was ten feet away from that because I'm always yeah. sitting behind the Celtics bench, and oh my gosh, was it amazing? Yeah. Hor- and Horford then he got, straight and up then he, staring at him, chucking the ball at him, gets it back, inbounds it, stares at him again. He was all over him.
0: And then he got an offensive foul literally like 10 seconds later. um, And kind of, I think he kind of launched the ball at him again. So anyway, (laughs) um, all right. I think we've talked enough. Um, Fingers crossed. There will not be another podcast before the bucks game on Sunday. And good Lord bucks get, you know, I I don't want to always say never trust the bucks. I'm happy. I didn't have to bring it up tonight. I'm happy you responded in a way that was befitting of a team of your talents. And you would rewarded our fans with a great performance. How about another one? I flew all the way to Milwaukee last year and I didn't get one. Win, win game four. No. Keep Bucks and keep the Bucks and six chant alive. Although, I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, that if the Bucks go down three-two and are playing in Milwaukee to keep the series alive, thus only being able to win in seven, you know that there's going to be a Bucks and six chant, and I love that that would also happen. <laughs> but let's win game four. Just, just Bucks, give us something. We're 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 simple people. We have we have we have basic <laughs> needs. They're they're not that much. Go off and beat this not that great Celtics team on Sunday, please.
1: All right. That's gonna be it for us for a- for Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. It's one twenty five on a Saturday morning. Hopefully you're out binge drinking or sleeping. Preferably sleeping. Um actually I don't know. Maybe binge drinking tonight if you're out celebrating in Milwaukee after the Bucks victory. Uh, either way. Hopefully you guys are getting to this on Saturday morning and enjoying uh, getting this podcast. So we will talk to you after the Bucks play on Sunday. Uh, we'll have that out probably Sunday evening. Thank you so much for joining us. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you on Sunday.